0: Welcome to the Garden Church podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California this morning we kind of begin a a, a, a light summer conversation um, that is rooted in the reality that, Um, especially for those of you who have been disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus for a long time, you've probably already started to notice that there are certain kinds of things that happen just purely by grace. God just comes in and and he he enables you to do what you couldn't do on your own. Yeah? Um, And that there are a whole boatload of things that he says, I'll help you with that, but you're going to have to do some of the heavy lifting on this one as well. And Unfortunately, sometimes in the church we have uh, emphasized the spiritual components of that. Pray, uh, read the Bible, worship, and all of those things are really, really important, and I want you to continue, n- no da, to do those things. But they don't address or fix a lot of the maturity issues that, are accom- uh, that t- tie in to being a fully formed disciple of Jesus. It's possible to go to church every day, that it's open. It's possible to pray, to do your daily devotions, and so on and so forth. It's possible to do all those things and still not grow up into Christ-likeness. Because as long as we're working on exercising in discrete bits the spiritual muscle, we don't pay much attention to the emotional muscle. And so we're gonna be spending some time in conversation over the next uh, few weeks uh, on, on what does it mean for us to become emotionally healthy? What does it mean for us to take as seriously as Jesus does our anger? You'll notice, for example, Sermon on the Mount, the very first thing he goes after is anger. Don't, 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 don't hate, don't be angry. Uh, and, and it's like, well, Jesus, how in the world? How how do you how do you do that, right? Anger has been my best friend since I was twelve. It's how I got stuff done. I mean, it's uh, any anybody else? I mean, and 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 it, uh, and and here's the deal: it's not that Jesus wasn't angry; it's that he knew how to be. Oh, so the anger is not the problem. I don't just put a lid on that. I want to learn how to be angry from Jesus. That is gonna require a little bit of work, I'm thinking. Right? And that's what we wanna talk about. Uh, Just the the fact that we are are fearfully and wonderfully made, um, and that God knows the ways that we have um, veered off course from the blueprint of what he had in mind in the first place. So that's the conversation uh, in, in over these next few weeks, um, and a nice light summertime fair, right? Um, but I want to start uh, with this um, uh, uh, text of Scripture. Before I do that, let me, let me say, too, for those of you who want to read along at home, um, there is a book that we are going to be using as kind of the backbone of this sermon series by Peter Scarzero called The Emotionally Healthy Church. Uh, it is kind of, He's kind of created a cottage industry now in emotional health, but it's, uh, so far everything that I've read by him uh, has been valuable and worthwhile. So I would suggest, if you want to follow along, uh, that you pick that up. And, uh, and we'll be not basing our sermons, I'm not preaching on the book, but I'm using the book as a backbone, as a kind of structure for us looking into the text of scripture. He's a pastor who has rooted his conversations in scripture and that's what I intend to do uh, as well, and Darren, of course, when he uh, uh, returns and is part of that, uh, that, that conversation. Because I've discovered over the years, I've been pastoring for more than 40 years, that it's possible for somebody to go to church all the time and still be at the end of their journey as angry and as lustful and as, as pernicious as they were when they started. Apparently, just going to church and doing the church stuff doesn't fix the brokenness that is at the core. Uh, and I want to talk about why that is, and why I think Jesus wants us, as part of our maturing, part of our growing up, to lean in to emotional health in those particular areas that we'll talk about. So uh, the passage of Scripture that I want to start with is Genesis 2-7. This is kind of a large framework, and we've spent a lot of time on these ones before, so I'm not going to unpack this, but here's the text. The Lord God formed a man from dust of the ground breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The the Hebrew word in behind living being there is nefesh, which is otherwise translated soul. So again, um, you have these these two components of of the human being, the human soul, right? What does it mean to be soul? Well, it's two primary components. It's the dust of the earth, into which God breathes the breath of life. So these two components, dust and spirit or breath, dust yielding the physical aspect of the soul, spirit, breath of God leading the spiritual aspect of the soul. So you have the soul is comprised of two primary components. You, 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 does that make sense? So it's not you, you, you have a body, but you're not your body. You have a spirit, but you are not your spirit. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. And that becomes important when we start to think through what whole soul health looks like. The two primary components, physical and spiritual, are uh, supplemented by three secondary components, social and intellectual, how we relate to the world, and how we think and process information, and in between linking them and serving as kind of a dashboard indicator of soul health is the emotional component. So five components of what it means to be soul, physical, spiritual, social, intellectual, and emotional. It is not surprising that Jesus doesn't just save one-fifth of us. He doesn't just address one-fifth of us. He addresses and seeks to redeem, save all of us. So this, this, um, these, these components here uh, uh, enable us to think through strategically what does it mean when Jesus then says, and by the way, it's important to know, you can't be mature well in, in one area without some level of maturity in the other areas. So spiritual maturity will require us to grow up emotionally, too. It will require us to learn how our body works in support of our spirituality, how our social interactions work in support of our spirituality, how our brain that God gave us us to process information, to to systematize our experiences, how that works, our mind, not just our brain, because your body has a mind of its own. Right? How we process and think through things and work through things, the logic that makes sense of our life. Because every one of us, at almost every given time, once we've reached a certain age, have a perfectly good reason for everything we do. (laughs) That seems like a good idea at the time. Anybody... No, no, okay, right? So, so, if we're going to talk about spiritual maturity, we, talk, we need to talk about maturity as being holistic. Does that make sense? Uh, here's Jesus on this. Uh, uh, because the, in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 29, he says, uh, in response to the question about which is the most important commandment, he says this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, a unity, right? So, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So this becomes a a strategy, a metric, if you will, by which to evaluate maturity across across the board, right? Because we all know people who for whatever reason have found a way to do spiritual exercises, spiritual disciplines, in such a way that it never filters in to how they manage money. It never filters into how they treat their spouse. It never filters down to the ways that they interact with the clerk at Albertsons. Jesus is saying if it doesn't do that, it doesn't count here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength necessarily translates into loving your neighbor as you love yourself with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Because the Lord our God is one. He's a unity. He's not bifurcated into the various components with emphasis, well, I do this, but I don't do this. You do that. I'll take care of that. No, you can't do that, Right? which means that the gift God has given you in your whole soul is the gift God wishes to receive from you. Love your whole soul and offer it up. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. So love then becomes the defining metric of spiritual maturity. The more you love without condition, without payment, without outcome, the more you are like your Father who is one. This is what Jesus said, right? And he invites us to be great lovers of all of humanity, as well as the humanity that is us, as well as the humanity, right? You, you see how the flow works here. So, so because the creation is nothing more than an expression of love. And that sounds mystic, it sounds Eastern perhaps, but, but here's, here's my logic. John says, God is love. What is creation? God said, love said, let there be. Does that make sense? So, so, so love becomes the metric, it becomes the means, of maturity, becomes the metric of maturity. The more we love, the the more we love freely, flowing in all five dimensions of the soul, to and from God, to and from ourselves, to and from others, love becomes that that aligning metric and the measure of maturity. So that's why we're gonna be focusing on that by way of introducing the series. The first principle that Scarzero identifies and that becomes critical in our conversation is this one. You've got to learn to look beneath the surface. Beneath the glittering image, beneath the facade that we have learned how to present to others and often to ourselves, right? You've got to look beneath that surface. He uses the image of the human soul as an iceberg with only, what, an eighth of it visible on the surface and seven eighths underneath. If we never get beneath, if we never go beneath the surface, we will never ultimately move towards maturity. We will remain an emotional infant or an emotional child or an emotional adolescent. We will never become an emotionally mature adult, spiritually mature adult. And why is this important? Because God is counting on you to help him save the world. That's why it matters, because you matter. He wants you to bring all that you are, including that stuff you'd prefer nobody know about hidden under the stairs in your grandma's attic. He wants you to bring all of that to the self that he wants to redeem, to partner with him to save the world. So where do we look? It's clear we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, as a result of our Genesis 3 rebellion, which we don't have time to get into, we have disconnected ourselves from the aligning force of God, the aligning dependence on God, the aligning uh, reality of love, and we have begun to find ways to hide because of we are ashamed or because we're afraid. Uh, we have found ways to hide in our blaming of others. As long as I can deflect things that are wrong with me on you, then I never have to actually deal with them. Right? And then, because we are built with the, as the image of God, we have power, and we start to misuse our power to protect ourselves, and by, we do this either to dominate others or to manipulate others. We've talked about this enough that I hope that that brief snapshot is, is not more than we can process. Everybody tracking with me? Okay? So uh, hiding, shame, fear, blame, and the misuse of power... Create in us a capacity to hide from ourselves and from others in ever more creative ways. Anybody else besides me just find ways to outsmart yourself all the time? You know, we do this all the time. And when we can't do it, what do we do? If you're like me at all, you medicate. You find ways to ameliorate, to pretend, to cover up the pain. And so we want to say it's time to come out and play. It's time to come out and be real. Having been reconciled to God through his gracious gift of life in Jesus, now we can invite the Holy Spirit to sit with us and to lead us into that deep dive beneath the surface, beneath the glittering image, so to speak, to get underneath the surface of our lives where the destructive behaviors, self-destructive behaviors arise. They reside there, they develop there, they arise from there, Here's what Jesus said, verse 18 of Mark chapter 7. Are you so dull, he asked. I hate it when he starts that way. (laughs) Don't you see that nothing external, nothing that enters a person from the outside defiles them? It doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and out of the body. He's talking specifically about food. And in this, he declared all foods clean. Thank you. Then he went on to say... What comes out of a person is what defiles them. It's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. I'm thinking, friends, by the way, that that's not an exhaustive list. It is, however, an exhausting list. I find myself in moderated versions of many of those, yeah? You wanna know where that comes from? Jesus says it comes from right inside you. His little brother James says, don't don't be thinking God's the one who tempts you. When you're tempted, you are led astray by what? Your own crap, the stuff that resides in you, that you haven't taken out the trash, and you haven't let me take out the trash. That's where it comes from. It's out of these places, where these, these evils reside, they come from the inside, and that's what defiles a person. Now here's a, a, a challenge for me. I believe in the redemptive work of the cross. I believe in the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to save us, to redeem us, to restore us in the right relationship with God. So why in the world doesn't just everything get fixed all at once? Why do some habits seem to go away in a moment? Some characteristics, some things, some personality, just bang. And others, it seems like I'm going to be struggling with this until 10 minutes after I arrive at the pearly gates. Anybody else curious about why that is? I'm thinking it's because Jesus wants you to exercise the muscles that will enable you to be useful into eternity. The muscles of self-control are useless if there's no self to control. The muscles, ooh, you got them. You need a license for one that big. We got little critters running around here. Just thought you'd like to know, so keep your feet up. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. You've saved. That's all right. (laughs) at the front row, it's okay, okay, we're good, so so when we think through this, I think that Jesus, remember, there are three um, levels, I guess, by which things are healed, by which wounds even are healed, by which brokenness is healed, the first one is some things Jesus heals completely, and we can pass over that space without any, even a twinge, right? But there are some things that Jesus heals that leaves a scar. You walk with a limp. You are reminded that you once were, and now you are, yeah? But there are some things that Jesus leaves open wounds. And he does that not because he can't heal them, but because they, in their openness are a means through which revelation shines, glory shines for other peoples to encounter the risen Christ in a way that they could not if they did not see that wound in you. Does that make sense? So you think, for example, of remember we've talked about this. Thomas, put your fingers through the holes. Those holes are not healed. They are not scarred over. They remain open as a means of by which the revelation of the risen Christ can come to Thomas and through Thomas to us. So what about the issues in your soul, your physical illness, your mental illness, your uh, wounds that have occurred to you, the damage that has been done to you? Jesus can ameliorate all of that in the snap of a finger and he doesn't. Why? Because that's useful. There's somebody whose brokenness that you connect with is like yours who needs to be able to see what a disciple of Jesus with mental illness of one kind or another looks like. I say that very deliberately because we have this notion that perfect people are the ones who are disciples. Sorry, if that's the case, none of us qualify, right? It's people whose families are, that they came from are a mess who will battle the family system their whole life. Jesus needs disciples who are learning how to do that as he would if he had come from those dysfunctional family systems. That's why some of those wounds remain open and are not healed. It's not because he can't. It's because those wounds become useful for him in inviting you to partner with him in saving the world. Now, they can also become excuses to avoid signing up for duty. That's why we want to say, Holy Spirit... Help me to know what's in me, not so that I can pretend it isn't, but so that I can invite you to redeem it, to restore it. I'm going to offer it up. I can't offer it up if I don't know it's there. I can't offer it up if I'm not willing to acknowledge my own story. I can't ask Jesus to redeem my anger if I'm continually pretending I'm not angry. Just frustrated, you understand. Just disappointed, disappointed. No, you're angry. Bring it. He knows how to handle angry people. We d- 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 okay? And I'm talking about anger because that's my besetting sin. So smarten up. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> here's the deal the visible markers of unhealth primarily surface in our personal and relation and, and uh, our personal relationships and particularly with people whom we love. So you think of your friendships, think of your marriage, your spouse, think even of your kids. You will treat your coworkers better than you will treat those who are closest to you. Because you are willing to trust them to a limited degree, at least, with the true you. Yeah? So we want to dig into this and say, Lord, I don't want to mask this. I don't want to medicate this. I don't want to binge out on Netflix and disappear into my life. I want pain, the pain of the realization of what I've done to my wife, the pain of the realization of what I've said to my child, the pain of the realization of how I've treated that maybe even stranger on the 405 freeway. I want to. I want to. I want to. I, I don't want to pretend that's, that's, that's nothing. I want to lean in. So how do I do that? Psalm Psalm 19 gives us this framework. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens... God has placed a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber like a champion, racing to run his course, rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other, and nothing is deprived of its warmth. So here in these first two paragraphs of Psalm 19, the psalmist is saying God's presence is is visible we can be aware of it if you have a sense of the warmth of the sun on your body. You have a sense of God's presence, right? Because these are declaring his wonders. They are declaring. They are speaking out. You, you, you feel a drop of, uh, of rain. You feel the, the breeze blowing. You feel the, the heat of the sun. These, but is that enough to correct and align behavior? No. So we move into the second layer of revelation, if you will. Verse 7, the law, the Torah of the Lord is perfect. It's refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. They make wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. They give joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. And by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. You see what's happening now. We've moved from this general uh, uh, declarative revelation of the goodness and glory and beauty of God now to this more discreet, uh, instructional component, the way of the Lord, the Torah of the Lord, makes all kinds of sense. It helps us stay out of the deep weeds of our lives. It keeps us on the on the on the, the focus part of our of our journey, right? It's beautiful, it's precious. The psalmist is 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 excited that he's been given the rules of the game. He doesn't have to guess how life actually works, right? But then he realizes as precious and as wonderful and as as present as the word is it's not enough because he still finds himself going sideways unexpectedly look at what he says in verse 12 who can discern their own errors forgive my hidden faults keep your servant also from willful sins that they may not rule over me then i will be blameless innocent of great transgression May these words or deeds, actions of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here's the deep truth. No matter how well you know scripture, you still do differently than you know. True? Anybody else know way more than you do? I know, I know how to treat people. I just don't feel like it sometimes. And besides which, they don't usually deserve it. So let's be clear. we got a problem because we're not loving others as God has loved us. Do you, do you see where we're going here? So search my heart. I, I, I don't even know where this stuff comes from. Some of it, just to be honest, is willful. I do it deliberately with malice aforethought and throughout. And I, I, wish, I, I wish that were not true. But there are times when my entitlement, there are times when my insecurity, there are times when my fear, there are times when my self-abasement gets in the way and I blow myself up on purpose. Anybody else? Three? Okay, well. <laughs> Jesus started, okay, four. <laughs> I mean, we do this, right? We, uh, it, we, we do this. And, 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 so, and so the psalmist says, Lord... Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be like this, except when I do. Where does that, I do sometimes come from. Where does that come from? Search my heart. I don't know. I don't know. I've found ways to hide from myself. So here again, Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, oh God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there are offensive ways in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. We need help to look beneath the surface. We need help. So that's what this first principle says. Holy Spirit of the living God, I want to look beneath the surface. This is terrifying for me. I don't really want to look beneath the surface. I don't want to create the space, the solitude, the silence to dig deep. But at the same time, I don't like what I see coming up out of that. You can cap the sewer pipe for so long before the stink starts to work its way into the fabric of your soul. Let's clean out the mess. Oh, I don't even know where the mess is. Holy Spirit of the living God, help me out here. I want to be useful to you. I don't want to just be nice when I think about it. I want to be good for nothing. Not because I'm promised reward not because I'm going to be punished if I'm not. I want to be good when nobody's looking. I want to be, have a character that instinctively, when pushed hard, erupts with forgiveness, not condemnation. Because that's the model, is it not? Jesus, hanging on the cross, did not have to work up to, Father, forgive them. That is what came out of him naturally. Oh, man, I want that. I want that. I want to be so good, and I mean that in the best possible way, that it is not hard for me to forgive those who consider themselves my enemies. I got a week or two on this. Or three maybe that's the prayer so what happens first we have to have an awareness of what we are feeling pay attention look at the dashboard how are you doing it fear how are you doing where's the anger index for you where 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 is the sadness index For you, Where is love and joy on the positive sides? Because that dashboard of the emotions registers all of those health factors, right? How am I doing physically? Where where are my relationships? We have to start to become aware of what we're feeling, to pay attention. I'm really anxious right now. I'm really afraid. I'm so angry. I was stressed out today. On and on and on the list goes, I'm sad. I don't know why. I just can't. Put a finger on it. The food has lost its flavor, and the colors are muted. I don't don't know what's happening today. I don't know. And then we sit with the Holy Spirit and ask the why questions. Why am I so angry at this person I love so much, at something so trivial? Why did I go to DEFCON 4? Because the cup wasn't put away. What's that about, right? Why am I avoiding this person? Why do I care so much what people think of me? Why am I so anxious about how I did? Why does every negative thing weigh in at 10 times the positive affirmation that I receive? Why is criticism just crash in and ruin my day? Why, why do I work so many hours and feel like I have to succeed? Where does that come from? Why don't I work so many hours? <laughs> How is it possible for me to sit three hours watching nothing on Netflix? Oh, it's a documentary. Why is community so hard for me? Why don't I join a house church? Why don't I want somebody to really know what 3 o'clock in the morning looks like for me? So we don't do this because we're too busy. We have too much going on. To distract it, maybe because we don't want to know what's underneath. And to that degree, and sometimes we medicate, yeah? And to that degree, we miss the opportunity to grow up into increasing usefulness. And our prayers, your kingdom come, are blocked at the level of our emotional immaturity. Would you mind bowing your heads with me? We're just going to take a few minutes. And we're going to pray. Pray. Here, now, this morning. And I promise you it won't last too long, but I can't let you get out of here without at least a preliminary invitation. Spirit of the living God, search my heart. See if there are ways of wickedness in me, ways of brokenness in me that I haven't had the courage to look at. Beneath the surface, Bring things to my mind, Lord, that are indicators of the brokenness that you see that I've been willing to ignore. The shunning silence, the furtive self-deception. We choose to enter in for a moment. Thank you, Spirit, that you are never gonna condemn us. You are never gonna shame us. You only put your finger on what? is actually needing to be dealt with because it's destroying us? What is your anger index this morning? Where are you feeling joy and happiness and laughter spring up? Where is fear crushing your sense of adventure? Where is sorrow and sadness disconnected from real loss and now has become a generalized condition of self protection? What's the love meter showing? Spirit of God, search our hearts gently kindly put your finger on the places Lord that you wish to address and we just say to you Jesus we're yours we're yours thank you for listening to the Garden Church podcast for more information about the Garden Church visit thegardenlb.org